Our Bible reading is from Mark chapter 4, verse 35, to the end of chapter 5. And that can be found on page 1430 in your church Bible. That day, when evening came, he said to his disciples, Let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along, just as he was, in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. They went across the lake to the region of Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day, among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, Send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission, and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. He heard about 2,000 in number. Sorry, the herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legions of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man, and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, Go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he, was in, while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, 
yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from the suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out of him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowd, crowding around you, his disciples answered, and yet you ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told them, told him, don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. So have you ever been in one of those situations where you just seem to have run out of options? You know, you, your back's against the wall, you're in danger or in trouble, and you just can't see a way forward or a way out of it, and you become absolutely desperate. So on a very small scale, I can remember um, uh, climbing on, um, we're on the Isle of Skye in Scotland, in the Coolins. So if you imagine mountains with really spiky peaks like this, all rock at the top, and um, we're, we're climbing up this sort of crag in the rock. It, was sort of, it should have been rock climbing, but we were kind of like scrambling up it dangerously. And I got to a point where I couldn't, find anything above me to hold on to and keep going up but it was so steep and slippery i couldn't go down either and you know when you're just sort of stuck and my muscles started shaking and my life was flashing before my eyes and it was um, there was like a about a 20 meter fall onto bare rock below me i survived obviously but you know if you would. <laughs> but today's passage deals with people who are sort of beaten down desperate they're out of control, out of options, and in need of God's intervention. And maybe you've been there. Maybe that's how you feel this morning. Um, and before I say anything else, I just want to say we're going to talk a little about suffering. Don't hear me in anything I say making light of or invalidating how you're feeling. If you're feeling desperate this morning... But today's passage shows us that Jesus' salvation, his saving us, is so comprehensive, so powerful, so all-encompassing, 
that he shines light of hope into any and every situation, even the most desperate situation. So just to recap where we're up to, we've seen that Jesus has come to proclaim with words and actions that he has come to bring forgiveness of sins so that we might be saved into having peace with God, being part of his family is the picture given. And last week we've just had parables showing us that hearing and believing Jesus' words is how people come into his kingdom, his kingdom of peace with God, part of the family hearing and believing Jesus' words. Um, the parables that came after the, the one of the, the sower seed and soils, we, we didn't look at those, but um, the, just, the guts of them is um, how the growth of God's kingdom that Jesus is talking about is often invisible to us. It's often a long time in coming and comes from seemingly insignificant beginnings. But will grow beyond our imagination. Uh, the harvest of people repenting and believing in Jesus will be great. That's the promise. So it's a hard thing to do when you're planning a series for, uh, for a, a sermon series, sort of like Mark's, like, which bit, I can't preach all of it in the time we've got, which bit do you miss out? And I hate missing bits out, but um, next week we'll jump to chapter 7. So your homework is read chapter 6. All right. Anyway, this section that we're looking at um, is showing that like, those parables about how the kingdom is invisible in many ways. This section we're looking at is looking at much more visible showings of Jesus' kingdom being at hand in four of his miracles. And they show us the scope of his salvation. That Jesus not only forgives sin, he does that, but he also has power to save from disease and from death. So these are four salvation miracles, all with Jesus' disciples in close proximity. They seem to be like um, VIP, witness-by-invite-only miracles, uh, at least in part for the teaching of his followers. So let's look at each one. And I've split them up in your outline there, um, each point um, showing us what Jesus saves us from. What Jesus saves us from. So first, the first point, saved from disordered creation. Uh, I've sort of sub subtitle Snooze Workshop. I used to go on um, camps as a teenager and Christian camps, and, and there were always workshops put on in the afternoons. And you'd see people say, oh, what workshop are you going to? And I would often reply, I'm, I'm going to the Snooze Workshop. So that's where that comes from. So here Jesus is doing his own Snooze Workshop, isn't he? Showing that he can be trusted to have power over creation itself. Power over creation itself. Um, so Jesus gets his disciples to sail with him across Lake Galilee. Um, so Lake Galilee is 20 kilometers long, 12 kilometers wide. So um, if you imagine the distance between the city and Glenelg, that's about how far they're sailing across. And so verse 37. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? Now, sailing on this lake had been the life's work of some of these disciples. So they were used to it getting choppy. But we can take it that the, they weren't being sort of namby-pamby, being a bit scaredy-pants, thinking that we're going to drown. They were in real danger. Verse 37, the boat was 
nearly swamped. But notice when it is that they get really scared. Verse 39. Jesus got up, rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Well, they were terrified and they asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. See, they'd seen fast changes in weather before, but this was something else. From dangerous squall to glassy calm. From chaos to order. Uh, Jesus effectively reverses the curse God put on creation in just response to humanity's sin. So uh, in Romans 8, 20 to 21, we get um, information that tells us why all these natural disasters and things happen. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope. Sorry, not forget the in hope bit. <laughs> but the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. So have you ever um, had someone house-sitting recently? we've done it and then um, before you go it makes you realize everything that's quirky about your house doesn't it all the you as you show people around you show them how to iron out all the kinks how to deal with little errors and frustration oh this thing doesn't work properly so you have to press it here first stand on one leg and shake it and that, that kind of thing helps you see the workarounds you've had to come up with to cope with the imperfections well creation has frustration and disorder and danger built into it as a consequence of sin. And the disciples have just been on the pointy end, receiving end of the, these consequences in, in this dangerous storm. So why does Jesus ask then, where is your faith? Well, it's because all that they've seen about Jesus seem do and teach uh, impossible miracles of healing, uh, casting away evil, Raising the dead, teaching with unparalleled authority, and not to mention his own claims about himself, they've all been pointing in one direction. That if you have one direction, if you've got the humility to admit it and see it, that Jesus is God's Saviour, come with all God's authority. And even, he shows us here, even authority to save us from God's judgment on creation just by speaking a few words. So no wonder the disciples are in fear and amazement. Then. Jesus has just shown them that he can make the fabric of creation obey him. It makes his submission to death on a cross for our sake even more remarkable. And this is just a sneak preview of what Jesus will do fully at the end of time, when he returns um, to bring his salvation and his judgment to completion. So the next verse after the, the one I just read you in Romans 8.21, says, The creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. A sneak preview. This is the Jesus that we're trusting in. 
Yes, a human being like you or I. But I think the danger is that we domesticate Jesus, turn him into a life coach or some sort of hippie guru or a bombastic business leader or whatever image we find more manageable and palatable. But the trouble is with ordinary people is they're limited in the amount of hope that they can offer. So let's not shrink Jesus or the salvation that he can offer. We're not immune to suffering from the frustrations and dangers and disorder of this fallen world. But when we do suffer them, we can do so knowing it won't always be like this. That we are saved into a new redeemed creation where everything is perfect. Everything in its place working properly Nothing dangerous, no workarounds. And it's the returning Jesus who will make it so. So Jesus saves us from disordered creation. And next we meet someone who is saved from evil. Second point, saved from evil. And Jesus meets in one man a rough crowd, that is, a crowd of demons. Yeah, here we see Jesus saves from evil. So they're arrived in Gentile, so that is not Jewish area, on the other side of the lake, near the town of Geras. Maybe they thought the Geras would be greener? No? <laughs> I'm here all week. That's good. So they get to Geras, and what a welcoming party. So looking at uh, chapter 5, verses 2 and 3. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. Well, what a welcome party, hey? I mean, look how wretched this poor man is. He's demon-possessed, so he's not suffering mental illness. Just to be clear, the gospel writers knew the difference between mental illness and demon possession. So do not ever put the two together. He's demon possessed. He's got evil spirits living in him. And there are so many that the man is named Legion. So the man at least feels like there are thousands of demons in him. And we see how they torment him and make him violent. Verse 4, breaking out of chains and shackles that he needed to restrain him. He cries out and cuts himself in anguish day and night. In fact, he's pretty much at home amongst the tombs where he does base himself. He's like a living dead man. If you, it's just worth looking at this man. I mean, Mark likes it to be deliberately scary and confront us. When you're tempted by the sweet, shiny veneer of sin and evil, it's good to look at this man and remember that evil is a con and this is what it really looks like. And he'd have been pretty scary, wouldn't he? Running at Jesus. When he saw Jesus from, verse 6, when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. I think you or I would have been scared of this man. But Jesus isn't scared. The demons are scared of him. 
They know exactly who Jesus is, son of the most high God. They don't argue with Jesus. They don't challenge him. They beg him for mercy. And with just a word of command, Jesus saved this man from raw, powerful evil. Jesus has the power to save from evil. And you don't need me to tell you that there's still evil in the world. I think I've told you before, growing up, we always, um, I can't remember us not having foster children as we grew up. Um, And it never ceased to amaze me just how cruel people can be, not just to each other, but to their own children. Never mind to strangers. Evil is in the world. And most of us um, won't come up against demons, but I do expect whenever we do more evangelism, whenever we, I don't know, plant a church, or whenever we're doing something um, to try to be particularly proactive in growing God's kingdom, we can expect a heap of pastoral issues to crop up. We can expect Satan to try and distract us or stop us um, and stop others hearing God's word to stop people being saved. So you just have to be kind of spiritually, spiritually streetwise. But evil won't win. It can't win because what Jesus shows us here is that he has absolute authority to save us from evil. See, all Satan had left, left was to accuse us, to point out our debt of sin to God so that he would, being true to his holy nature, condemn us. But Jesus has stepped in giving himself up to suffering and death on the cross to pay for our sin and give us his perfect record so Satan can't accuse us anymore. Evil's final desperate trick has been defeated and the rest of the stack of cards will tumble. But for now, Jesus allows the demons to escape into some pigs. His final day of judgment has not come yet. And we mustn't be naive. Evil's on its way out, but still around. But whilst we suffer the consequences of evil in the here and now, we can do do so assured that Jesus has power to save us from evil and trust him in prayer to do that. And we can be assured that by this snapshot of a future where Jesus will destroy evil once and for all. So Jesus met a rough crowd in this man. He also meets a tough crowd. And we see that Jesus' power is too much for some to handle. But for those who come to him in faith, he can bring life and restoration to even the greatest darkness. This Casting out of the demons causes a big stir, and people come to see for themselves. See, this man had been a source of fear and pain in the neck for that town for a long time. They'd all grown up knowing this guy was always there. So you think they'd be grateful to Jesus. But verse 17, the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. See, this man's healing has been like a a living parable for the Gerasenes. They've been confronted with Jesus, with his power, with who he is. 
They can't deny it. They've got this man uh, in front of him with a completely changed life. But the result is, it has hardened their hearts to him. Hardened their hearts. They fear Jesus. So maybe you or people you know fear Jesus. Because we get to see just who he is, how much he can save us from. Uh, we know we must respond to him, put ourselves in his hands. And that will mean letting go of the comfort of our discomfort. Of letting go of the familiarity and the comfort of our discomfort. See, I think we put up with all sorts of evil. People put up with all sorts of evil because they're so used to it. And because it deceives us to thinking that we're still in control. But just look how destructive evil is. And look at the alternative that Jesus offers. So the evil alternative. This man's been dehumanized by evil. He's become almost like an animal. Now he's an extreme case. But this is what sin does to us. Sin, rebellion against God, promises to empower us, to reward us. But in reality, it's going what we were made for. It's going against bearing God's image. And so it chains us up and eats away at life. And what is the first thing the demons do when they escape Jesus? When they run into those pigs? They destroy life. And that's what Satan wants. Your destruction. But Jesus restores life. Verse 15, you see it in this man. When they come to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed, and in his right mind. And they were afraid. What a transformation. The picture is sitting at Jesus' feet. It's a phrase meaning he was now like a student waiting to be taught by his rabbi or teacher. He's dressed, he's lucid. And although he wants to go with Jesus, Jesus restores him socially and recruits him to his mission of spreading the word about him. So verse 19, Jesus did not let him go with him on the boat, but said, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So this man had been about as far gone as a person can be. But with just a word, even without being asked, Jesus has transformed his world of darkness to a life of amazing testimony. So ask yourself, just how much has God done for you? How much could God do for you? There is no darkness in you too great for him to overcome. And I know that can seem a million miles from your reality today, but Jesus has shown that this is real too. There is no one too far gone for God. So who are you today? Do you politely ask Jesus if he wouldn't mind moving on because he's a bit confronting and you don't want to think about all that? You're staying comfortable in your discomfort. Or do you come to Jesus, acknowledging him as the Son of God, 
trusting him to overcome evil in your life, determined to tell how much Jesus has done for you. On to our last section then, where we see a woman and a girl saved from disease and death. And we've got a desperate man and a desperate woman, looking at uh, from verse 40 to the end of the chapter. So when Jesus gets back across Lake Galilee, um, there's a crowd waiting for him. And in this crowd is a desperate man, Jairus, pleading with Jesus to heal his 12-year-old only daughter who is dying at home. But just as Jesus is going off to help, he gets distracted. So I, don't you hate it on films or movies and stuff where there's a, there's a goodbye at a train station or a bus station and they do this long goodbye and there's a big long speech. And I, I can never listen to the speech because I'm always thinking, get on the bus, the bus is going to go without you. you uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I'm, I'm kind of oblivious to the fact that the script writer has written the bus for the goodbye, not the goodbye for the bus, you know. It's just a, a device plot. But here there is a real tension. Jairus' daughter is at death's door when Jesus is distracted by a desperate woman who's um, been bleeding for 12 years, touches him, and is healed. Both Jairus and this woman, they're at the end of the rope, they're out of options, back against the wall. Jairus might have been an important man in his local synagogue, but that counted for nothing in this situation. And this woman had run out of medical options to cure her. And her condition would have made her ceremonially unclean, isolating her from society. But the woman touches Jesus' coat, and he's immediately healed. And when she confesses it was her, he tells her, verse 34, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be free from your suffering. This woman had a, a simple, almost superstitious kind of faith, didn't she? And technically, she broke God's law to exercise it because touching Jesus while she was ceremonially unclean. But however hiding in the crowd and timid her faith was, it counted because it was faith in Jesus. It's like two people getting on a plane. One's really chilled out, frequent flyer, and the other is really worried, terrified of flying, and worried about every little thing that could go, go wrong, interpreting every noise on the flight as um, doom. No confidence in the pilot. But both people have enough faith to get on board the plane and both get to the final destination because in the end, both of them trusted. And faith is all this woman needed and faith is all Jairus needed. Overhearing what they said, Jesus told, told Jairus, don't be afraid, just believe. And Jesus eventually gets to Jairus' place where there's a frank exchange with the mourners. Verse 39. He went into them and said, Why all this commotion and wailing? The child's not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and disciples who were with him 
and went in where the child was. See, the mother's reaction helps us to be sure that she really was dead. They weren't pretending to mourn, they were mourning. And Jesus seems ridiculous to them. But to Jesus, who knows he has the power to restore her life, they seem ridiculous. Jesus has the power to save us from death. Jesus has the power to make our death simply a sleep before we are raised to eternal, perfect life with him. As I said at the start, I don't want to trivialize or invalidate any suffering you're going through today. We live in a fallen world that is under God's judgment. We're saved from it, but we still have to live in it. But that's not the same as the world overcoming us. See, what we've seen in Jesus today tells us that the world with its disordered creation, its evil, its disease and death, can't overcome us. Those things can't overcome us when we've fallen at Jesus' feet because Jesus has the power to save us from all of those things. And one day he will return to rid us of them once and for all. So the disciples in the boat, the demon-possessed man, Jairus and this woman, their desperate circumstances They've been a catalyst, a push to end up at the only place they can be saved, at the feet of Jesus. And that's where every one of us needs to, be, to fall, at the feet of Jesus, surrendering to him to save us. And save us he can. So I want to finish, uh, I'm going to say these verses from 2 Corinthians chapter 1 as a prayer. Let's pray. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. Amen.